would say sit down with your spouse, decide on a financial plan together, and stick to it even when things get hard. Look to the future and just don't give up. Welcome to Getting Money Right with your co-hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. Today, we're going to be talking about managing money for a lifetime. And with us in the studio, we have a great couple that will no doubt add tremendous value to you, our listeners. Ernie and Kirsty Frausto have been great friends of ours for many years, and I'm excited to have them share their own personal finance journey and how they were able to retire early. I believe their story will inspire you as you learn what they did and how they prepared during their working years for the season they're in right now. Let's get to it. Ernie, Kirsty, welcome. Why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourselves. Would you let our audience know where you're from, how long you've lived here in the great state of Texas, how long have you been married, do you have children, grandchildren, and what's unique about the season of life that you were in right now? Hi, my name is Kirsty. I was born and raised in Southern California. We have been living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for about 35 years. Um, I've been married to my husband, Ernie, for 42 years. We have two grown daughters and four wonderful grandchildren. Ernie and I met when I was 14 and he was 15. I was a freshman in high school and he was a junior in high school. We got married when I was 18, right, pretty much right after I graduated high school. We also um, started having children early in our marriage. We had our first child less than two years after we got married. I was 20 years old um, when we had her and we retired early. That was our game plan from the beginning and that's what we've done and now we're enjoying our retirement and doing a lot of traveling, which was our goal. <laughs> That's great. Oh, the only thing I want to add is that we, we did plan for this retirement. Uh, we've been, this actually, this month will be my fifth year anniversary of re being retired, and we've been enjoying it quite a bit. That's great. Do you mind if I ask, Ernie, how old you are? 61. Okay, so you retired at 56. Yeah. Well, wow, that's We great. had planned to retire at 55, but... but Overachiever. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love just being able to fill this in a little bit. Uh, we're sitting across from Ernie and Kirsty. You guys got married at 18, 18 and 19 respectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And y'all have been dating for a couple of years. So right out of high school. And when did y'all start working? What, when did the working career begin? Well, I started working when I was 16. When I had my 16th birthday, my parents bought me a, an old used car and said, here's a car for you. You can live in our home. You can eat our food. But other than that, you're financially responsible for everything else. And so car insurance, gas, clothing, you know, entertainment, everything else. And so pretty much right after my 16th birthday, I got a job. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you, you just see... Uh, starting your career out, 16 years old, I mean, just beginning to work. I'm not even a career level at that point, but just beginning to work, learning that work ethic, and then taking that into marriage. But then you guys had kids very early on. So what was that like as you're beginning to combine your finances, you're beginning to talk about finances for the first time, and then kids come along? Share a little bit about the early years. What did that look like? Well, even before we had kids, I guess since we had dated for four years and and we're married two years before we had our, our kids. And it was a lot of stuff going on before that. We thought and planned actually in early stages that we would live off my salary and save her salary. 
And um, once we knew that we were in this for the long haul, we didn't tell anybody that, of course. But Kirsty's always been the better saver, and she's the one who always cautioned me when I wanted to do something crazy. But when we got married, my mom pulled us together and, and taught us how to envelope budget. I remember her sitting us down and, and giving us all the details on how to do that, which was really important because, as Kirsty said, when we didn't really think about having kids, but after being married a couple of years, we had a child, and uh, that's when Kirsty had to uh, stop work. Well, at the time that I got pregnant with our first child, Ernie was still in college. Mm. Actually, he had just finished undergrad and was getting ready to enter graduate school. Mm. And I had been the one that was working, and he was working part-time at that time. But when we had our first child, he still had, well, almost two years left of college to go. And I had nobody to watch our baby. Mm. And daycare would have taken pretty much all of my salary. And so we made the decision at that time for me to stop working and we survived for a year and a half on Ernie's 20-hour-a-week part-time salary. Mm, mm. That's, I'd love to hear more about that because obviously you guys made some sacrifices. You, Ernie, had to finish your uh, graduate school and potentially make, obviously, more money by doing that. So that was a good investment of your time. But you had to embrace a different lifestyle to be able to finish that out and you having to stay home, uh, Kirsty, with the, with the kids. So tell us about... How did you get through that? What was your mindset? How did you plan to live on such a little money? Just tell us kind of the, the thought behind all of that. Well, I think part of it really was social. And that was the most difficult part because starting out young like that, our friends, you know, spent all their money, did a bunch of fun stuff. And, and once we got married, we stopped doing all the extravagant fun stuff, like going to concerts and whatever. Mm-hmm. We had to make those choices every day on what to do. And it took a lot of encouraging her of me and me of her back and forth, depending on who was thinking about it. But we really had both been raised very, very differently, but the the commonality was not to overspend. Mm. And so when we had the baby and we made that decision, we just cut back. It wasn't that hard. Well, we didn't go out to eat. Christmas presents for people were homemade gifts and, and things like that, but the sacrifice was worth it because I was able to stay home with our baby instead of being out working and being away from her. That's so good. So uh, share a little bit about where you learned how to manage money, because even that understanding that, okay, if we only earn 20 or how, you know, part-time labor, 20 hours a week, and we only earn this much, we're only going to spend that much. Even that mindset and that philosophy of living within your means, uh, the idea initially that you're going to live on one income, which I'm sure opened up some margin for the leaner seasons, but where did you guys learn about money? Uh, where did you pick up some of these philosophies, and what are some of the things that you've lived by? Well, I pretty much learned about money when I was basically told that I had to. <laughs> You're on your own, right? I was on my own. Yeah. And so, you know, through trial and error, but it, it really didn't take long for me to realize that if I didn't have the money, I couldn't do things. And so... Um, and you learned how to sew. Yeah, and I, I learned how to sew. I learned how to sew when I was a, a kid. And so, you know, I, I sewed a lot of my clothing. I made the prom dress I wore to the high school prom and stuff like that because, you know, my friends were all buying these, you know, $100 dresses and... Well, I spent $5 on fabric and, you know, made myself a pretty dress. That's great. Uh, I love the frugality that you both seem to have adopted from those early years. And perhaps it was somewhat forced on you to become frugal. 
But I, I also think that there's a family influence. I know that's been the case for me. Even though my parents didn't specifically teach me how to manage money, they've still instilled certain principles, certain beliefs. Uh, debt was one of those. Stay away from debt. My parents did not like debt. They thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Why would somebody actually take on money and then have to pay somebody for it? And unfortunately, I didn't take all those lessons to heart. I did have to make some mistakes before I learned the lesson. But Ernie, if you would tell us, uh, what was your upbringing like? Obviously, your mother's the one that sat both of you down. Did you have a different upbringing? Did you learn it when you were younger, or did you just embrace it once you once you started working? I learned it younger as well, but differently. My parents, we had a lot of kids in the family, and my dad made good money for two or three kids, but not for five or six kids. And so it was, uh, it was tough, but my mother was really the one who managed the household. And I remember being a very early age, I don't know, young enough to still sit on her lap where she would go through the bills with me. I've asked my older sisters if she ever did that with them, and they said no. So I don't know if it was just old-fashioned, the the man has to learn this kind of stuff. But I remember sitting on her lap and her telling me what, what she could pay, what she couldn't pay, and along the way telling me, I don't ever want you to have to make this choice. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that was real important to me, uh, that she took the time and explained that what she was doing wasn't the best way to do it. And my dad, his father passed away when he was eight, and his mother was a missionary, so he, he didn't really grow up in a, in a normal home. So he had no background. Uh, whenever there was conflict, uh, you know, he usually won, and we spent more money than we had, <laughs> you know, so... I so appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that story, Ernie, because you and I have had this conversation in the past where you shared how your mother sat you down and and showed you how to do this. And perhaps she didn't feel like she was able to do it as well as she could have. But the fact that she took the time and trained you how to do it, I know means a lot to you. And um, I hope our listeners will take away from the story and perhaps do the same for their children, that they'll take the time to not only manage their own money well, but to take that and eventually teach their children as well when they're ready to to step into that responsibility. So thank you so much for sharing that story with us today. All right, let's switch gears for a moment and talk about challenges or setbacks. Uh, was there any misstep, anything that you might have done, maybe taken on some debt, maybe didn't manage as best? Tell us about some of the challenges that you had uh, along the journey. Well, I wouldn't say personal missteps, but things that happened around us that we had no control over that were effectively the same result as a misstep. A couple things. One, when I first uh, was working as a consultant, um, we were told I was pulled into an office and told by my boss that I had to get a new car. And that was not something we had planned for, but he said, we don't want our clients to drive in your old car. Uh, You'll have a new car when you come in on Monday morning. And so we'd never borrowed money for a car before so that was real difficult for us but we did it because it was he he knew how much I made so I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't uh, fake it and um, uh, but that that was the only time that we did that Uh, another time that is really personal is uh, when we moved to this area we had taken about a year to make sure everything worked with our finances and and uh like I said, we'd never done anything uh, financially related quickly, so we literally waited a year. We moved into our home uh, in July, I think it was, and in December, the company I was working with was forced into bankruptcy, uh, unfairly, 
And, um, but I was immediately six months after we moved here without an income. And uh, the president asked me if I would stay with him for no salary to fight the fight. Mm-hmm. And b- because we had no debt, we just had the, the mortgage was the only debt we have. We were able to just cut back incredibly and, um, and survive it. And it, it was about a year or so, Christy, about mm-hmm. a little over a year that we finally won the bankruptcy and had it overturned. And, but by then the company was, was gone and uh, uh, we, all, we had to get jobs again. So, so tell us a little bit of what it was like that first time that you began to combine your finances and, and bringing that together, putting together a plan, talking about the future. I mean, looking back now, you guys did so well um, to have that plan in place and to get to the place where you could retire at 55, 56. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. So what was it like the first time that y'all began to combine your finances? Well, since we got married so young, um, it really wasn't hard to combine our finances. Just as soon as we got married, we just opened, you know, one joint checking account, put all our money in there, and we never thought of it as this is his money, this is my money. It was just always thought of as our money. And, you know, at different times throughout our our marriage, you know, he was the major breadwinner, and other times I was the major breadwinner. And so we were, you know, we were equal, and we always saw each other as equals. And so it wasn't, that, that really wasn't a struggle for us. So you just embraced a team mindset right from the beginning. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. I think that's that's such a testament to, one, the strength of your marriage, but also you looked at this as a, we're in this together, as you said earlier, Ernie. And once you knew you were in it together, then you were all in. And I love what you just shared, uh, Christy, that, that you, sometimes you were the major brain winner, sometimes it was Ernie. And that's been the case in our family where from time to time, Natalie made more money, and then I had to go to school, and then vice versa. And we've done that several times in our marriage. And I think that's such an important thing. When you're working together, you're going to accomplish much more. So I appreciate that insight and you sharing it. So uh, how did you teach or influence your children about money? I know that for me, as soon as I learned how to manage money better, it was just instinctively that I wanted to teach it to my children. So how did you go about doing that with your daughters? Uh, well, one example that I can think of is when they were young teenagers, when we would go shopping for things like school clothes, for instance, I would give them a set amount of money in cash, and I would say, this is the amount of money that you have to spend. You can spend it however you want, but this is what you get. And so it didn't take them very long to realize, or very many shopping trips before they realized that buying expensive designer jeans or shopping at, you know, specialty stores, did you didn't get as much bang for your buck. And so um, they realized that, you know, maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. And, and they quickly realized how to handle finances that way. And that kind of carried on into their college years as well, because we sat them down, we gave them a budget for what we were going to, how much, you know, they were going to be spending in college, and how they were to pay us back was that they were to get good grades. But we gave them what they needed, but we didn't give them a lot of extra. But neither of our daughters had to come to us, not even once, during their entire four years of college asking us for more money. Mm. They lived on what the amount that was in their budget. 
Yeah, I think it was tough, especially when they were teenagers and our neighbors would buy their kids new cars or give them a, a vacation for a graduation present and, and things of that sort. And we told our kids, I remember have very vividly having a conversation with one of my daughters, I won't say which one, um, <clears throat> just saying, look, I'm not stupid. I know how much you have. Why aren't you giving it to us when so-and-so is doing it for their kids or so-and-so is doing it for their kids? And that was very hard. But having to tell them, we're doing this for you. What we're doing for you, you'll realize in a few years how important this was for you to learn that just because you have it doesn't mean you need to spend it. Yeah, that's really good. What uh, What did you guys do for work? What, what were y'all's careers in and the education? What did you guys do in that area? When Ernie and I first got married, I went was going to school part-time at night and taking evening classes because he was going to school full-time. When we had our first child, I stopped going to school, obviously, and I really didn't pick that back up again until our youngest daughter entered college. And at that point, I went back to school and completed my degree in early childhood education, and then I was a early childhood educator. I taught five-year-olds. Well, I guess I worked in that field for over 20 years, and then um, for, I guess, two-thirds of that, that time, I was in a classroom, and then after that, I went into administration at the school. That's so cool. So from about age 20 to age 40, you were at home with the kids, but then you still went back and finished, yes. and then had another, I mean, a full career, about 20 years, give or take, uh, in the education system. And that's just, it's yes. really <laughs> neat, because no matter where you're at in life, and I'm saying this to our audience, uh, it's not too late to finish the things that you want to do, that you're passionate about, and chase down and pursue uh, a career or a dream or a job. Now, what about you, Ernie? What What did you do? I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, which is one of the reasons I went into graduate school uh, to broaden my opportunities. I, I started working with a CPA firm right out of college as a consultant and did that for a few years. In fact, that's how I got to Dallas. Uh, back then, Dallas-Fort Worth was going through a growth spurt and they needed some people and we were ready to try something new, so we came to Dallas. And then after that, I, I left to work for a client in the motion picture business, of, of all things here in Dallas. Uh, that was years ago when that was starting, but uh, I've always been in company leadership for my entire career. I, I happen to know that uh, the movie industry that you were in was somebody that that my daughters grew up with, and uh, that was Barney the Dinosaur, and yeah. you, were, you were involved in that project, in that stroke. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I was actually, uh, that company that I was mentioning earlier that had gone into bankruptcy, and then we came out, it was, I went into consulting. I mean, I just worked and tried to find jobs, and a friend of mine from Arthur Anderson turned me on to what was then called the Lyric Corporation, and I went in as a consultant, and about three months into it, they asked me if I would come on full-time because they really appreciated the things that I was doing for them for as a consultant, and, and it was a great experience. It was, uh, it was in the early to mid-years of, of Barney, so it was an incredible amount of stuff going on back then, and Wishbone, was, Wishbone the dog was their other product uh, back in those days. Did you ever put the Barney suit on? <laughs> no. No, it's funny. It, it, the, I did hang out with a guy, but he was an incredible, uh, just muscular athlete. You would never imagine it uh, from, from the way he bounced around. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, all right, that's a fun fact, and I appreciate you sharing it. Let's focus a little bit on the savings part. I know that obviously some of the choices you've made set you up for the ability to not just manage well, but pass that on to your daughters and get you to where you are today. But can you share a little bit more detail? How did you focus on spending? Was that a consistent part of your plan, or 
did you for a season couldn't save and then had to catch up? Just kind of tell our audience, what was your mindset and how did you go about saving and preparing to have enough for you to be able to retire and retire early? Well, we when we first got married, obviously, we were not able to save for the first couple of years until Ernie graduated college and began his career. But pretty much day one, as soon as he did begin his career, we had already discussed that we were going to start saving money um, for our future, for our children. You know, we knew we had two daughters. We knew that there was going to be two weddings that we were going to be, you know, taking care of, plus their college educations, um, and then our retirement. And so pretty much from day one, that was a priority to make sure that every month we put something away. Mm. And how did you do that? What did you put it in, or how, how did you how did you set it aside? Well, like I said, Kirsty's job was managing the money. I deferred to her and all that, and she gave it to me, and my job was investing it. And so while we discussed with each other what the other was doing, I never quite understood how she did what she did with what was available, and she you know, didn't really spend that much time with what I did. But we started out in our young days with uh, basic mutual funds. This was pre-401k days, but we put as much money as was legally allowable into savings plans. I never worked for a public company, a government agency, or a union, so we knew right off the bat that we would only be able to live off of whatever we saved. A lot of your listeners have other income, but we didn't. That story I told you earlier about my company going into bankruptcy, that was the time we actually did a formal financial plan. We did it ourselves, and we realized how much, which is kind of surprising, frankly, how much we had to save in order to pay for weddings, to pay for college, to pay for our retirement. And so when we actually put it down on paper, it became harder because it was a lot more than we had expected, but easier because we had a plan. That's great. So you actually put it on paper. And I th- this is crucial. I want audience to hear this. You didn't just think about it. You didn't just implement it. You actually talked about it. You created a plan. You put it in paper, and it gave you the awareness of, one, what your finished line had to look like. And in one way, it might have been discouraging at the moment. It's like, how are we going to ever get there? But you didn't really worry about it. You just put your head down and kept doing it. And today, the result is that it worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just want our audience to really catch that, because I think sometimes we look at our financial picture and we say, well, what's the point of saving $100 a month? I'm 40 years old. $100 a month is not going to get me anywhere. But a little bit at a time and just consistently doing it gives you that opportunity to develop that behavior and stick with it so that it does get you to finish line. So I think that's very important to understand that it's not how much you make, it's the fact that you are putting something aside. But putting a plan, putting it on paper, talking about it gives you that awareness so you can actually stick to the plan. And like you were saying, okay, it starts out with just 100 but then that gets exciting because mm-hmm. after a year you've saved $1,200 and you think, well, what if next year we could save 1500 And then it becomes $105 a month and $110 a month. And then when there's those outside influences, a friend bought a new car or so-and-so went on vacation, uh, I remember all of the people that I worked with had bigger houses and we had to encourage each other, well, we're planning for our future. So... Let's just plan for our future and not worry about what anybody else is doing. God bless them. That's great, but that's not what we need to do. Would you, maybe, Christy, maybe you're better to answer this. Would you say that you had a good lifestyle while you were saving? I think we had a good lifestyle. We didn't live extravagantly, but we had never lived extravagantly growing up or anything, so it's not like some people that we know that, oh, all of a sudden when you have more money, you feel the need to spend more money. 
um, kind of our way of thinking was, okay, we have more money so we can save more money. Mm. And we've lived the same lifestyle for umpteen years, mm-hmm. and we don't, you know, we never really felt a need to change our lifestyle. I think when you talk about that, it's like our children, I think, are a way to look at that because they lived in an area where the other kids had a lot more than they did. Now, they knew we had the money to buy them X or Y, but we trained them so young to look at the future and not to be concerned about other people. And it's just amazing, not amazing, it's just very gratifying that they uh, now, neither one of them has any debt other than their homes, and they're both doing well, and they're both relatively young. I love seeing that generational um, passing on of the legacy and the understanding on finances and the contentment. Say, hey, we're going to be content, we're going to be grateful, and we're going to continue to save and create margin. Uh, So when did you realize, when did you first realize that you were successful, that you were going to make it, that you're going to hit those savings goals? When did it start to sink in? that we're going to be okay. Like, I mean, you know, as you're saving and you're, and you're thinking, am I going to have enough? Is this going to be all right? When did that first start to sink in? Well, I, I looked at it all the time. So I can't think of one moment, but I looked at our Excel spreadsheet uh, every month. Uh, and, and, and there were times when things happened, job changes, um, you know, whatever, where we couldn't save what we had planned on saving and we weren't doing as well as we had planned because of our income for whatever reason wasn't as great as it had been but we focused on what we could control and we focused on not spending more when we didn't have as much as we had in the past so it's funny maybe it's strange but but I looked at it all the time because for me since I'm more of a spender personality than than Kirsty is I needed to make sure we were on track to encourage myself to keep on the course that's good. And Kirsty, what about you? I mean, so for you guys, you retired at 56, Ernie. You're 61 now. So uh, what age, Kirsty? Where, where did that really land for you? Well, I, I retired after Ernie did. Yes. Um, I retired at 59. Yep. So I worked for three years after he retired. Um, so that was just because I wasn't ready to retire yet. You know, I just wanted a couple of more years. Um, I kind of wanted to hit that 20-year mark of working. But I really knew we were going to be okay when Ernie felt comfortable retiring. Because yeah. if, if he feels comfortable, then I know I can feel comfortable. Now, how much would you say is um, related to your Social Security? And how much would you say is related to your savings? Well, we're too young to think about Social Security. So we're living off of our savings. Now, we're young, and I'm still... Uh, I still have valuable things, I guess, that people want to hire me for part-time jobs or, or for or for certain things. And, and that helps keep us busy. And I look at it as well and just extends the money that we have in, the, in savings and investments. So our toughest thing, frankly, one thing that we didn't anticipate was health insurance. With the Affordable Care Act, that's really put a burden on the amount of money we have to spend each month and with the highest deductible. But fortunately, because of our past, we've just been able to adjust. And we're bl- been blessed that we have good health, that we haven't had any major health issues come up, that we've had to spend our savings. Um, yeah, that is, that is a blessing because it can really put a big dent into your savings if that happens. So continue to be healthy. <laughs> that's, that's what we hope for you. So when you look back on your journey, um, what, if anything, would you do different? And it's okay if you say, you know what, everything we did was fine, but... Just wondering if there's anything that you would want to impart to our viewers. 
I don't think there's very much that I can think of that we would have done differently. Um, we always talked things out financially. Um, we always agreed on things. We never made a major purchase or anything without being in agreement about it. And so I feel like we did what was best for us and for our family, and I think it paid off. We don't have a lot of time to go into our whole life story, but there were at least three, if not four times during our marriage that my job situation ended and I had to start again. And we went months without an income and we just survived because we had always been aware of what we were spending. So it hasn't been an easy road, but every time that we hit a bump in it, we just looked at each other and prayed about it and said, okay, this too shall pass. And it did. There were several times when we almost emptied our savings account in between jobs, but we replenished it because we we had the long-term goal. Hmm. I love what you just shared, Ernie, because there are challenges. And I think sometimes people have a unrealistic perspective. They think, well, when things are perfect, then I'm going to start doing all these things. I'll be able to save all this money when I make more money. But really, it's the behavior that you guys embraced early on to always live within your means, to not overspend, to not take on debt, to not increase your your lifestyle beyond something that was reasonable, to even be frugal and say, hey, if we can live on one income, then we can reach our goal and we can do so much better. And if there's lean times, then we can adjust and it's not going to be this huge adjustment going from two incomes to one. And talking about living on one income, when I did go back to work, um, we put all my salary into savings Mm -hmm. and we just lived off of Ernie's and so that was another part of our end game was that my my working was going to help us reach our goal faster yeah that's great and and the timing when I turned 55 the stock market was uh, at a at a low during the last administration so that was one reason I just well we don't have to stop working. Let's just stick around for another year and and give ourselves a a bigger cushion. So everything was planned out, really. And it's funny, as I'm talking, I don't want it to sound like like we're these over-planners. It was very natural. We had very few big conversations about it. We just knew what we needed to do and did it. And really, I don't think we've ever had a fight about it. We've had disagreements. But I deferred to Kirsty when I knew Kirsty knew more than I did about something, and she deferred to me when she felt I, I knew more about something. Yeah, I love that because you were just living life. You were just you had goals. You had talked about them, obviously, and it's not you didn't have to have a big meeting. You just had conversations, and, and I think that's what's so great about managing money. It doesn't have to be this difficult meeting every week for two hours to discuss. It's something that you just do, and it is a, a way of life that you embrace. Well, I'm so grateful for your time, for taking the time to be with us today. Any parting words, any words of wisdom that you'd like to share, perhaps for a younger couple that's maybe just starting out, and if you think about the journey you've taken, and if you could sit down with them and say a few words of encouragement, a few words of wisdom, what would you want them to know that you have gained and that you can impart to them so that they can also reach their goals? Um, Well, I would say sit down with your spouse, decide on a financial plan together, and stick to it even when things get hard. Look to the future and just don't give up. I think about with our kids where we never had real deep conversations, but just reminding them about the future and that whatever they do, they should always look 10, 15, 20 years out, and it doesn't take that long, uh, that much extra effort to think about 
the next decade of your life rather than just how am I going to do that tomorrow. Thank you, guys. I'm certain that our listeners will appreciate those words of wisdom. Any parting words before we end the show? You know, we've always looked well into the future when thinking about our money. And in both of our families, our parents and grandparents have lived pretty long lives, most into their 90s. So we know that even at this age, we have 30 plus years to go. So we're not done. We didn't plan on getting to a certain point and then going crazy. We're still living the same life that we lived when we were younger. And we are happy. We get to do everything we want to do. But we're still planning, we're still budgeting, we're still looking at everything on a monthly basis, and uh, it's just very natural for us. Ernie and Kirsty, I'm so grateful for you guys coming, spending time with us in the studio. Uh, as somebody who is six years into marriage, uh, it's so fun to see what it can look like 20, 30, 40 years down the road, uh, being in communication, uh, having common shared goals, living below your means, choosing to not raise your lifestyle with your income raising. I mean, th this intentional living, the legacy that you're putting out through your daughters and now your four grandchildren, it's just so cool to me. So I just want to say thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, it's really a blessing to have you on, to learn from you and to know you all personally. Really appreciate that. So thank you guys for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play so that it's easier for other people to find it and benefit from it. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, follow us. We'd love to have you be a part of the personal finance conversation. Now, if you want the show notes for this episode or more content and resources, go to leosabo.com. And we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money, money right. right. people that I worked with had bigger houses and we had to encourage each other well we're planning for our future so let's just plan for our future and not worry about what anybody else is doing God bless them that's great but that's not what we need to do mm -hmm.